Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, what's poppin' church family, Ville Church? I see you in the place. Listen, if you're new today, thank you for pulling up and doing Sunday service online with us. My name is Pastor Jay Harris. I'm the lead pastor here at DeVille Church, and we are glad to have you tuning in with us. Um, as promised, we're going to be talking about marriage today. Um, you know, anybody that's married know marriage is way too complex for me to knock it out in one sermon or whatever, but I'm going to do the best I can to cover the text that we have in front of us. And so I pray that it's a blessing to you out there. If you are married, married and you're struggling, if you are thriving and y'all are doing great, I hope it helps you thrive more. If you're struggling, I hope it helps you flip the game. If you're single, then I'm hoping that it helps you, um, you know, get a great esteem and view for what you are looking for in marriage. So you know whether you need to tell a person you might be dealing with the kick rocks or y'all need to grab each other's hand and say, listen, let's, let's go to another level with this. So I hope I can be helpful with this and, and be a blessing to y'all. Um, Believe me, I'm not just preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to myself also, whatever. Like, my wife um, hurt my little soul a little bit, but I asked her to rate me on 1 to 10, and she hit a brother with a 7. Then she hit me with a list and told me why I need to step my game up or whatever. So um, I'm going to be going back over the notes and, and doing some self-reflection or whatever. But anyway, I love you, boo, whatever, and thank you for keeping it real because God knows I need you or whatever. Brothers blind as a bat sometimes. But anyway, let's jump into this and do this. I'm excited to preach this to you all today. Um, we're going to be inside of Colossians 3 is where we're at. We're in the middle of our series, Rooted. Um, but Colossians 3, I just want to give you a little bit of context before we jump right into what we're jumping into. Colossians 3, um, I, I want to hit you with this verse, verses 1 and verses 2, because I feel like it gives you an overarching th theme of what's happened in Colossians 3. Paul is actually writing this letter to the people of Colossae, the church that is there, and he's encouraging them. And when he gets into Colossians 3, he gets down and like just starts hitting them with imperatives. Like he's building, he's speaking culture and like, yo, this is how you roll. This is how you do this or whatever. And he's encouraging them. But in verse 1, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, he says, set your mind, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So he's telling them straight off the bat, seek the things that are above, right, where Christ is, and then set your mind onto them. So that's that's culture building right there. That's like that's like when you tell your family, like, yo, listen, family, this is how we roll. This is how the Harris family moves. You're saying, grab these things and then make it your thing or whatever, right? And so that's what Paul is doing. He's looking to teach them right there. And so he kind of bullet points through different imperatives, like, hey, put on, do not lie. You know what I'm saying? Put to death put on then as God's chosen ones. He's saying things like that and talking to them like that, telling them how to do community, how to do family, how to love each other as brothers and sisters, showing them the magnitude and the, and the quality of, you know, and the value of love within their relationships. Also warning them about what they should put to death, like whether it's impurity, their passions, evil desires, covetousness, things that would actually fight them having unity. He's saying put that to death because these things are also what is bringing about the wrath of God. Um, to those who are disobedient to God and not followers of God. So he's saying, kill all that old stuff. Like Christ has died for us and he's given us salvation. He has made us clean and justified us. Um, 
So let's 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 roll, right? Let's do this thing. We've been given this royal title. Let's be royal with it, right? And so he's talking to him like that. And then in verse 18, with the imperatives in Colossians 3, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's all of our text this week. And so it's very small. So, of course, I'm going to actually go to somewhere else and preach this inside of the word. But before I get to that, I want to hit you with something. So I want to read something to you from um, John Piper. It was something that he preached in 2007. I have big esteem for him and use his commentaries often when I'm preaching. But he made this point, and I think it'll be helpful for us to posture us as we go into this conversation about marriage. He says, Jesus makes the point most clearly that marriage is the doing of God. From the, be from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We're talking about Genesis right now. That's where that's written at. And then he says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Then he makes this commentary. This is the clearest statement in the Bible that marriage is not merely human doing. The words God has joined together means it is God's doing. And so the reason I want to read that to you to start off is because I don't think we often think about the fact that marriage is something that even in the, from Genesis, God speaks on and is his doing, right? And so when I think about that, you know, every day I'm just trying to do what we need to have, needs to happen with family and with my wife and everything else. But I don't often step back to think about the fact that this is actually something ordained by God. This is something that actually was spoken into existence by God. Sure, different governments, different traditions and everything else have whatever, you know, um, guidelines that they legalize a marriage formally through. But the concept of a husband, you know, um, leaving this family and a wife leaving her family and becoming one, that is God's. And so I want this to give us a certain reverence as we have this conversation because if the creator is the one that has created this, if there's issues going on with it and we are looking to make our steps forward, we need to we need to go vertical. It's not a horizontal problem, just, oh, she gets on my nerves or he gets on my nerves. It means that we are having a issue with the creator that's playing out horizontally. So you're gonna hear me throughout the sermon talk about this vertical issue that really is what's causing the horizontal issue, right? So we know it's God's doing. We just established that, that that marriage is God's doing. Another thing we need to look at is like, what is the big problem? So we understand the problem. So when you look at Genesis 3.16, and I'm going to read this through, and I'm going to read it kind of quick. Um, Genesis 3.16 says this. This is after Adam and Eve had sinned, and God was dealing with them. It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it were taken, um, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what God is saying is this right here. He's saying that because of sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin, that everything is broken, right? So like, like our bodies, the ground, 
our flesh wars against each other, right? Everything God actually put in place to actually serve us is actually fighting against us. But God is saying, but I've conquered all these things on your behalf through Jesus Christ. But that's what I mean. Once again, that's why you have to go vertical for it to work out horizontal. Because if we just play it from a carnal standpoint and just try, try to figure out marriages and, and, and how to just make it better and everything else, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the mark because God is the creator of it. He's the author of it. And marriage is meant to be glorifying to God. And I'll expound on that in a little bit. But we look inside of Genesis and we see that this was broken from the very beginning once sin happened. So when we, when we wonder why the struggle happens in marriage and our flesh acts the way it acts, it's because of sin, historical sin and our sin every single day. The depravity, the wretchedness of our flesh that actually wars against each other, right? So we once had shalom. We once had peace. That's what God created. The situations and the circumstances and the things we have to question and ask about marriage right now, there was a time when that was not even something that would, we, we, we wouldn't even be thinking about it because the earth was ruled by the peace of God until sin came and broken. So since we are broken, we have to have a power source to beget God glorified, glorifying beauty in our marriages, right? So next, we're gonna go to Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 33. But before we do, I wanna tell you a quick story, right? Because, um, we're going to be in Ephesians for a minute, so you can flip your Bibles there. But I want to tell you a quick story. So a couple of years ago, I was um, I was invited to a um, into to a, a luncheon or whatever. I was a part of this committee that was going to be giving away some money, and um, and so I got invited to this. This is this one house that I used to pass all the time. I didn't know who lived there, but I always just thought it was like this super beautiful house in this one neighborhood. And so I'm like, you know, lo and behold, one of the people that were on this committee I was on actually lived there. So I get invited over there. Um, the other people that were there, they knew each other. I didn't know them. And, um, and so I come in, introduce myself, sit down at the dinner table or whatever. And none of them were believers and they found out I was a pastor. So, which is no big deal, but it was a big deal to them. So straight off the bat, they come from my throat right at the table or whatever, right? So one of the uh, um, ladies that was there said, hey, I know some people from your church and I know one of, one of the pastors or whatever and stuff, you know? And I said, okay, true indeed, you know? And she said, yeah, I was at this wedding and when he was preaching, he started talking about like, you know, like a woman submitting or whatever and stuff and everything. And so I said, um, I said, okay, I said, true indeed, she goes, yeah, she says, I, yeah, I didn't like that at all or whatever. And starts going in. And I'm thinking to myself like, hey, yo, like I never met y'all before. Like this is how we jumping off our introduction straight off the bat. And it's like everybody's sitting at the table looking at me. You understand what I'm saying? Like they're literally going at my throat straight off the bat. And so she gets done saying what she's saying. And then the, one of the guys there says, um, he goes, you don't believe in something like that. And I, he goes, do you? And I said, well, yeah, I actually do. I said, but I think that I have a different understanding of what you actually think it is. And so from there, I went to explain Ephesians 5 and explain submission. I said, yo, you think of submission like an MMA move or whatever, like some kind of UFC, you know, fighting tactic where somebody, you know, lords their power over somebody else and is abusive with their power. I said, 
Submission is also something that you actually give out of respect, out of adoration, right? That's something like I often submit personally to my wife for things that she requests of me because I adore her. I love her. It's one of the ways I esteem her. And so I walked them through this at this table and I'm explaining all this to them. And I said, I said, but you know, it, it asked the wife to, to submit and respect the husband. I said, but it actually tells the husband to die for his wife. It says that like he's supposed to care for like, like he cares for his own body. And I painted this beautiful picture for him and I finished what I was saying. And I said, I don't know who in the world would want to be loved like that. And it was funny because one of the ladies that was at the table, even though they were all opposing me, um, they were all silent and she grunted out loud. Like she did one of those like, mm, like me. And the other, other people kind of looked at it like they were mad that she even kind of did that. But like, I knew what I had said had captured her heart. And like I had took this, uh, this term and this thing that has been abused so often in marriage, this word submit. And I went and painted the picture the way God actually intended it and 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 it and it knocked the grunt out of it. So I pray today that when I go through this and talk about it, that it flips the script for you and it becomes something beautiful and it literally knocks the grunt out of you as well, right? So let's jump into this thing. Ephesians, um Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. I'm going to read it for us and then we're going to break it down, right? So it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. That, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Okay, sorry, I just went back. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects the husband. All right, so I'm going to plow through this real quick. I know there's a lot of stuff right there, and there's a whole lot of beautiful stuff in it, and I'm going to break it down. So right off the bat or whatever, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So once again, when we talk about submission, this is something that God desires. This is something that God calls to the structure and the role of marriage is for wives to actually submit. And based on verse 33, it, it uses the word respect. So submit doesn't mean somebody putting their power on you, right? It doesn't mean that they are lording their power over you, making you do what they say, or saying, boo, when I say jump, you say jump. That's actually betrays the next part of this where the husband is called to love his wife. So this idea of submit is a matter of not even respect to the husband first. It's a matter of respect to God and what God's will is. So husbands, when they're loving their wife, it's, a, it's that vertical thing first. 
wives, when they are submitting or respecting their husbands, it's a matter of respect for God first. You get where I'm coming from? So there's this thing where God is actually, by his grace, he's lavishing us with love. He's doing it to you, and then he's doing it through you. Wives, he's lavishing you with love, and that love may be respectful. It may be, God, I trust what you're doing, even though this man is half crazy. My husband is half crazy, but I, I, I know that you're doing something big, and I know that even in me honoring you, God, it's going to infect and help sanctify my husband in, in the process. So it's, it's because it, none of this means that the other person is going to act anyway. Your wife may still be half crazy. You may still have be half crazy. But this is about this vertical relationship first and foremost. So he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. First of all, there's another big part there. He says, to your own husbands. So this is not about forming some type of patriarchal system where women walk around submitted to men. That's not what God is saying. This is specific to your own husbands within building something healthy and good within the systematics of your own family and that is honorable to the God. So he says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's what I mean when I'm saying it's vertical. This is as to the Lord, right? What you do with your husband is actually you mirroring what is happening between you and God. And God is saying, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm requesting this of you because this is what is going to be, be beneficial. This is you saying that I have credibility when I tell you this is the way for this to actually function. Um, so that's important or whatever. I think it's important to also say, husbands, like your wife is not your maid. She's not your do boy. She's not your underling. She's not your mama. She's not any of that stuff. She's not your, she's not your, uh, you know, your, 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 your counselor for any kind of issues you got or whatever. And I think sometimes that when people are looking for to get married, they're looking for people to fill these roles and that's not their roles. It's not to say that they can't respond and love you to different things and certain things, but your wife is to be honored and esteemed. And let me let me go ahead and drive us on into that. All right. Let me go ahead and drive us into this next part, because I think this is all of this ties together really, really well. Right. So verse 23 says this. Hold on, I'm sorry. Let me I missed the point, whatever. So let me read something to you. This is a Colossians three verses 12. Colossians three verse 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, a comp compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In the middle of this text, we see in Colossians 12, on, excuse me, in verse 13, there's this part where it says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Once again, I can't say this enough times. This is that vertical relationship playing out horizontally. So it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
Your relationship with God is what empowers your relationship with your husband. Your forgiveness to others, even though they don't, you know, they, they may be completely guilty, but your forgiveness towards them is empowered by what God has done and the grace he's actually shown us in mercy and forgiveness as his children, right? So he looks at us in our iniquity and he removes our iniquity. He looks at the mountain of sin we have and then he forgives the sin. And so if you understand the depth and magnitude of his mercy and grace for you, like if you really get his wrath and how warranted and how just his wrath against our sin was, then you also, you grasp the beauty of his mercy. And so this isn't just theological stuff we talk about. It comes alive in our relationships and it looks like us being lavish with forgiveness with mercy with grace with long suffering with patience and from god and then lavishing it on our spouses i hope you all are with me so far i hope you all are with me so far verse 23 let's get this right here it says for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. So when we actually read this, I just want to make sure people understand this because I think what happens in this text is words like submit, word like the, you know, being the head is in a, in a patriarchal society or whatever, these words have been abused tremendously. Um, a lot of us, even fellas or whatever, like we saw this abused in our homes coming up and like we actually don't know any better. We don't know that there's something different than that. And the Bible, what we're reading right now, I hope you grasp it because it's painting something completely different um, and, than, than we've ever seen. But this idea of being a head, let's, let's talk about what it encompasses. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. So we have to talk about what encompasses being the head. What is that? Is that about being the boss, stomping your feet, everybody doing what you say do when you say do? Is that it? Or what is it? And so that's what we're going to work, work through. And so let's look at it. So when we look at this, what we're seeing is this, this posture, like the husband has what I would call in a sense a savior complex. And I looked up the term for that. It says the term can refer to a state of mind in which an individual believes that they are responsible for saving or assisting others, right? And so I believe what God calls the husband to, I feel like a savior complex can have a negative connotation sometimes, but I don't think this is negative. I think it's true to the scriptures that we carry this savior complex. At least we're supposed to carry the savior, savior complex. Not everybody does, but it is something that God puts on us from the as headship. And what that actually looks like is God's grace flowing to you. So you being chief in seeking God in your home for the betterment and sake of your home, for the health of your home, you are wallowing in God's love, mercy, and goodness going deeper, becoming rooted in the Lord so you can root your family deeper in the Lord. You take the head on that, right? Doesn't mean you're smarter. 
doesn't mean you're more intellectual. It doesn't even mean you're more spiritual. It just means from a role standpoint, your wife may be able to read the Bible backwards and forwards 10 times better than you, but it means that you wear the burden of seeking God for the well-being of your family. Matter of fact, is you declaring that I don't even trust myself caring, loving for my wife without God's power, right? That's a big thing too. Like, people, like I'll tell you right now, listen to me. If it is not God's grace, I would like to say I'm better than that, but I'm, I, I may not make it home, brother. Like, almost 20 years of marriage, I still get in my bed and thank God that I made it home. Not because I'm out slipping, dipping, doing something crazy, but I know my flesh is wicked and I know what it is. And I know it's the power of God that even allows me to even have a family, to even be a father or whatever. And so I, it, it's like it's like I'm living in a miracle, but it's powered by God. It's not me. So it's like, but when we talk about being the head, we're talking about us having that admission. This is like the confession of our sin. Like, God, in my confession, I real the, the, what, what floats to the front of it by your grace is this need for you to give me power to love my wife well, to love my kids well, to navigate through all these different circumstances that happen in marriage and family that I don't quite understand, to fight temptation, to have the wisdom to run when, you know what I'm saying, somebody, whatever's trying to come at me or whatever. So this is this is us mirroring that, mirroring what Christ did for the church. This is savior complex. God's grace flowing to you and through you to your wife, your kids, your church, your family, your friends, your strangers, community, right? It's a savior complex. And we see Christ's posture here. It says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Once again, this headship that we're talking about it looks like if if somebody rolls up on your family to hurt them, it looks like you jump in the front. Nah, you can't have them. I'll take that bullet first. It says Christ actually gave himself up for her. I just want to make sure we're clear. When we when it says gave himself up for her, it means that God, it means that God literally went all the way to the point, went through suffering beyond any comprehension and then ultimately died that we could be saved, that our sins could be removed. He actually took on the wrath, right? He took on the wrath that was reserved for us as sinners because of the wrath we incurred due to our sin to God the Father. And God the Father takes that wrath and he puts it on Jesus. That's what Jesus on the cross was about. The reason the thief on the cross next to Jesus was able to say, God, I'm guilty. I deserve to be up here. But Lord have mercy. The reason he was able to receive mercy is because God was putting all of that thief's wretched crimes and sins on Jesus in that moment. And that thief who Jesus looked at and said, yo homie, I'm gonna see you in paradise. He, he got Jesus' righteousness. He was, he was justified. He was made clean in that moment, right? He's made clean because of the work that Jesus did. And so this is important for us to know and understand that um, because this is what God is actually calling us to. Don't get me wrong. We can't be Jesus. Everything pales in comparison, but the posture that we look at that we're mirroring for our family, for our spouse, what we're doing, like 
the Bible, the word of God calls, calls the church his bride. Us that have been saved, we are the bride of Christ. We are, as, as Peter says, a bunch of living stones that put together make up a full building called the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. And so this is why this text has this symbolism where it danced between practical and literal marriage relationships, but then dances back to Christ in the church because Christ is modeling for us. He is modeling for us what it looks like to actually love your bride, what it looks like to actually be the head. It means that you never leave, you never forsake. If somebody got to catch the L, you catch the L for that for for the sake. It looks like you being slow, patient. It looks like you literally laying your life on the line for your wife. Like that's how precious your wife is. So what we see inside of the text, we see the wife being asked to submit and we see the husband being asked to lay his life down. It goes a step further for the husband with the submission. That's the headship aspect that's being played out there, right? So it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Marriage is a reflection of God's covenant promise to his bride. Like the, the covenant that we have with God, the promises he has made to us, whatever they were secured by the blood of Jesus in his death. So when we say, I do, when we say always and forever, when we say like, let nobody take this apart, when we look at the other person and we are making a commitment to him, we are actually mirroring what God has done to us. We are responding. We are, we are, we are, we are, remember we said this marriage is a doing, it's God's doing. Like, so marriage is actually meant to reflect and glorify God, which is why you can't do it from a horizontal level. You have to do it vertical and do it horizontally, right? It's important. And so he says that he loved the church. What is love? What does that look like for us? 1 Corinthians 13 covers it, covers it, right? So I'm gonna walk it through us with some of the ingredients um, in love is, and I'm gonna speed up because I know I'm going long. But 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, meaning you are not in competition with your wife. You are her advocate. You're an advocate for her success and her fulfilling all that God has called her to, right? Says it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not your highway or the high, your way or the highway. You're to listen to it, right? You're one, right? And um, it says it is not irritable or resentful. And we already talked about resentfulness is unforgiveness, basically, like spite, strife. We talked about what the Bible says to do. It says to look at Jesus, and 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 as we have been forgiven, to forgive. It says it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is what's embodied in love. Like husbands, if you ever get confused and your compass gets off pertaining to how you love your wife, maybe you're angry and you're like, God, I'm confused. I don't even know what to do no more, whatever. Like I can't quite get a hold of it. 
take a look at 1 Corinthians 13 and look at the different aspects that actually define love. Patience, kindness, not being irritable, not being resentful. Look at these things and then look at Christ and find them in Christ. See how he modeled it out. Use that. Use that. Lean into that. Like, I mean, on the real way, there's times when I'm like, God, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. And I have to slow down to get another look at Jesus and what Jesus has done and to pray and understand because what love do I have to have to give? I only have the love that I have from the Lord to give to my wife. So sometimes I have to just fall before him so I can know how to love her well, so I can be empowered to love her well. Um, verse 28 and 29 says this. It says, in the same way, husbands, you should love their wives. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. We're about to get into oneness right now. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So um, this is extremely important because once again, we see the example, just as Christ does the church, right? He says, he who loves his wife loves himself, and no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. That's what Christ is doing with the church. This is the example he's actually giving for us, right? For us to look at husbands, the way Christ actually loves the church sacrificially, the way he nourishes it and cherishes it. And this is the prize or whatever of in the apple of his eye, right? Like he is telling us to live this out with our wives. But this notion that we are one, that we are one is extremely important. It's extremely important. And I'm gonna tell you why. I talk to people like, so marriage is beyond a partnership. Like it's your wife is you, right? It's not just like y'all just like join together, like put a legacy together and everything else. And y'all just connecting like y'all are literally each other, right? And so I talk to, you know, a couple of guys or whatever and counsel or whatever. And I get friends and they'll be like, yeah, man, my wife, man, listen, you know, she just, I'm having a hard time dealing with it. She got too much debt. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Homie, that's your debt. Nah, man, she just, you know, I'm like, bro, that's your debt. Like, y'all are one. If she has debt, you have debt, right? If she has, if she catches a cold, homie, you got a cold. You hear where I'm coming from? If she is struggling, you are to be patient. You are to slow down and serve her and love her and not miss a step, but move in line with her. Y'all are supposed to talk and come into agreement as one to make sure like y'all are there together, right? And so sometimes we have, when we don't have oneness, we get to this place sometimes where we have ambitions and we can leave our spouse in the dust, Oh, we need to make this move and 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 so forth and this and that, baby. I don't think that's the best move. Well, then you stop until y'all both get a hold of it. Y'all pray together about it. You work through it, right? Nothing needs to happen tomorrow or whatever. And so I know I'm speaking about just practical issues, but I hear this conversation happen all the time with fellas or whatever. But this, the word of God right here is talking about one. The two shall become one flesh. That's how serious marriage 
is. Uh, you understand? So I um I'm running a bit long right now, so I don't want to keep pushing too much into this, but I want to round up with verses 31 and 32. 32. Verse 32 says, excuse me, verse 32, it says the mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul kind of rounds it up, rounds it out, and puts a bow on it at the end or whatever. But he once again mentions this idea of it being a pro, this mystery being profound, this idea of reflection from Christ in the church as a marriage, and then us actually practically in our marriages, and how God has actually um, had Jesus actually walk this out for us and then giving it to us as the model to function it. Um, that is profound. And it's profound to think about the fact that our marriages actually are us reflecting God's covenant, the covenant that he makes to us through Jesus Christ, the promise, saving our soul, Jesus dying on the cross, right? Eternity with him. The fact that our marriage and our commitment to each other being powered by God, that we are actually reflecting God's promise in our commitment, in our covenant, by pushing and holding through and pushing through the hard stuff. We're actually reflecting that. But that doesn't always go well, and it won't go well if we forget about this vertical connection we have to have with God and with Jesus, because Jesus is our strength. Um, in Colossians 3, um, excuse me, in Colossians 1, Paul says this, um, it's verse 28, he says, him we proclaim, he's talking about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And I thought this scripture was profound and I wanna use this on the back of what I've been preaching to you because Paul says, he says, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul kind of removes himself from, um, he, he, he says, I work hard, I grind, I toil, but I struggle, I'm struggling, I'm doing this with the energy that God is working through me. Once again, he is talking about a vertical power from his relationship with Father, his communion, his communion and his in his gathering and his time and his union with Jesus is impact, impacting the output he has here on earth. And we have to grab a hold of this for our relationship with our wives and wives with husbands that we are, we are leaning in the strength that God gives us. This is important because a lot of people are gonna maybe look at this and they're gonna go, okay, I think he may have said a couple practical things. And I really did, I don't know if I said a lot of practical things because more than just giving you practical things you can implement in your marriage, you could message me or call me or text me or, or Facebook me or whatever. And I'll talk about some of those things and those things are really, really good. But I think more important than those things is us having a basis of where the power come comes from for our marriage and how vital our relationship with the father is for our marriage. Because you listen, me and my wife almost 20 years in, I'd be shipwrecked without Jesus. I would have already destroyed this. I would have already broken my kids and hurt them so bad and disappointed my family or whatever if it wasn't for Christ's mercy and grace that he extends to me day by day. 
He gives me this love and he allows me to have something to give to my family because without it, I'd be bankrupt in the situation. So I want you to grab that more so than anything. If people are listening right now, you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. This isn't going to help you if you just want to practically kind of, you know what I'm saying, grab something out of what I'm saying. This is God power. As my man Brinson says, it's solar power, powered by the sun. You understand what I'm saying? The son of God, Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get around that but that. And so um, so let me pray for you. And in praying for you, I, 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 I plan to give you the gospel as well if you're not a believer. So hopefully you're able to hear what that is and, and what God is would have you to do if, if you feel like he's tugging on your heart. And, and I also want to pray for marriages out there as well. And so bow your heads. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just praise you, Father. We exalt you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy, your love for us, Father. God, I just thank you for um, your word says that we were once in darkness and out of grace towards us. Not that we've done anything at all to deserve it. We haven't been good enough. None of those things. We have nothing to trade to you. But you saved us out of our darkness and your mercy, Father. And I thank you, Father, Lord, that you let us feel the magnitude of what that is, Father, Lord. And what we feel is, 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 is life. You've given us life when we definitely deserve death for our sins, Father, Lord. But you have given grace and mercy to us. And it wasn't free. It was free for us, but it cost your son Jesus everything. And he paid the penalty and he paid the price. God, I pray for people out there today who are listening and they don't know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they're spooked out by church. Maybe they done dealt with a bunch of people who have been abusive. Um, people who in the church tried to lord over them and said, submit. But didn't know the good news of the gospel. They missed the good news. That you save sinners. That you rejoice in removing iniquities. Your word says that you make mercies, that they're made new every day. Our sin is not deep enough to, it can't outrun your mercy. Your mercy swallows it whole, Father, Lord. So we praise you and we thank you for that, Father. And I just pray that people out there right now, if they're listening, that they will simply respond. That this isn't a thing where we even can come to God on our own. So if anybody is being drawn to you right now, it's because you're doing it by your Holy Spirit and your power. It's because you're doing it. So I pray that they will respond in repentance. I pray that they will respond in belief and go, God, I believe that you're King of kings and Lord of lords. I believe that my sin is that you are justified in your wrath towards me. And I see, Father Lord, that you have extended mercy to me through Jesus. You said that you that you that you didn't come to condemn the world, Father. Your word says that we were already lost in our sin. Already. And you came to save. So, Father, I pray today that this good news hits people and they hear um, with ears, Father Lord, that you allow them to hear it with eyes that they can see. I pray for the marriages out there that people, um, that this has been helpful for people. I pray that that the um that your plan for marriage is painted with a new a new brush in a whole new way and that it's beautiful to people um that they don't hear the word um submit and, and think abuse but they think of it of, of of respectful honor to god that husbands don't hear the word headship and think that 
they think of it from an abusive way of lording over their wife, but they hear it from this responsibility of treating her like the queen she is and the child of God she is. I pray, Father Lord, that we would understand the weightiness of the wrath of God, even in this scenario, Father Lord, the people that we are married to, Father Lord, they're your children. And you as a good father, Lord, your anger is kindled when we mistreat them. I pray that we would feel that too. Like Lana is my wife, Father, but she is your daughter. Um, and, 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 I'm your, and I'm your son. So I pray that people would grab that also. And so I praise you, Father. I thank you for everybody out there and for the Ville Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love y'all. I went way longer than I normally do. But some things just, it is what it is. Hey, listen, God bless y'all. God bless your marriages. Appreciate y'all. One.